1: Someone described her when she's doing a speech as looking like a pigeon staring at a Rubik's cube.
2: (laughs) Did Boris Johnson write that? I do think she will grow into the role. I do agree with you that she's good when she throws away her notes and just goes for it.
1: It doesn't look set up to be a sort of classic dispatch box standoff. It is the sort of battle of the wooden tops, isn't it? Starmer and Truss.
3: The last Conservative Prime Minister who didn't disappoint me was Margaret Thatcher. One,
2: we have liftoff. Welcome once again to Planet Normal, the Telegraph podcast with Alison Pearson. Hello, and me, Liam Halligan. A fantastic hello there, co-pilot. <laughs> Don't let them get you down. As expected, Liz Truss has been crowned as Conservative leader, and she's now installed in Number Ten. Yesterday we saw the unveiling of a new cabinet, as Prime Minister Trust named Kwasi Kwateng as Chancellor, James Cleverley at the Foreign Office, and Sweller Braveman as Home Secretary, the four great offices of state, and for the first time, not a white man among them. We're also about to embark on a new era of Trussonomics co-pilot, a low-tax, high-growth policy approach, sure to raise eyebrows at the Treasury, and elsewhere among establishment economists. Keen to take on the blob. As former Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Truss is going to push back against the Whitehall moaning minis. A household energy support package to be unveiled today, Thursday, could cost upward of £100 billion. No problem, say the Trussites. We're the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. The markets will lend us the money. One reason this energy support package is so expensive is that ministers have said there will be assistance for businesses as well as households. This makes sense, because if countless businesses fold, we'll have a jobs crisis too. But the cost is sky high, Alison. And there's concern. Those gnomes of Zurich, they may not like it. (laughs) The pound and our broader financial stability could be threatened if government borrowing gets too high. So this energy package, Alison, is risky. Can Britain afford to do it? Or can we afford not to?
1: Who are the gnomes of Zurich? Are they like the diddy men of knotty ash? <laughs> You're trying to turn me into Ken Dodd. <laughs> you and Ken have got a lot in common. No, I've got
2: slightly better teeth than Ken, just slightly. Very
1: similar hair, though.
2: <laughs> Thank you for that. So the gnomes of Zurich, that's a phrase that was coined by Harold Wilson when the pound depreciated strongly during his premiership. Ah. And when I was growing up, I wrote about this in my column in last weekend's Telegraph, when I was growing up, I'd listen to sort of people talking in the pub about inflation and the economy and the business environment and all the rest of it. And the UK, of course, back in 1976, we had had to go to the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, cap in hand for a bailout. So the idea that financial markets could basically push governments around telling them what to do were very prominent back in the late 60s and the 70s. And I remember people talking about the gnomes of Zurich. These are the sort of distant, powerful people, the sort of international banking, financial classes, the traders who really decide what goes on. And I haven't heard that phrase for years and years and years, but people are now starting to talk about it again, this notion that we may not be able to do what we want because financial markets may take umbrage, not least because we've seen the pound in recent days tumble to its lowest level against the dollar since the mid-1980s. We've seen the price of government borrowing go up quite sharply also. And so that's why I think it is worth mentioning that there is concern, this huge, huge energy support package that the government's just unveiled, costing more than furlough itself, could lead to some financial turbulence.
1: I was going to ask you a bit later on how much we've got left in the instant saver, having spent about £400 But it's been quite a week, hasn't it? So it's been a bit surreal. So we saw our former Prime Minister, who you might have accused of suffering from an excess of charisma, departing in the sunshine from Downing Street, and enter our new Prime Minister, who you might accuse of suffering from a deficit Of charisma. And Gordon Brown told us he was going to end Boom and Bust. Oh, God. I wrote a sort of piece encouraging us to get behind Liz Truss this week because God knows the country needs all the support and help it can get, really. So Liz Truss did, as we thought, Halligan beat Rishi Sunak, although, interestingly, not by the huge margin I thought she would. She got 57%, but she has, as we've seen in the last couple of days, rapidly set about purging Sunak supporters from the cabinet. Out goes Dominic Raab, Grant Shapps. And it's interesting, Liam, she's unapologetically assembled a cabinet of allies, hasn't she? Surrounding herself with like minds, notably free marketeers. She said in her acceptance speech, I campaigned as a conservative and I intend to govern as a conservative. So after 12 years of a conservative government, will we have a conservative prime minister finally co-pilot? I think it is interesting. As you said, Kwasi Kwarteng as Chancellor, Soella Braverman at the Home Office, Jacob Rees-Mogg is at Business. I personally was disappointed that Kemi Badenoch didn't get educational culture. She's been sort of stashed away a little bit quietly, hasn't she, at international trade. Penny Mordaunt, who also did really well in the leadership contest, has ended up as leader of the House, which is a bit of a meh position, Truss is clearly keeping two of her biggest rivals out of the limelight. But as you say, Liam, the big story here really is that the four great offices of state are for the first time not occupied by a single white male. This is an incredibly diverse cabinet, which is a real kick in the teeth for Labour. And we've just watched, haven't we, Liz Truss at her first Prime Minister's questions. She's much better. She's really poor at delivering a sort of set-piece speech, as we saw with her speech outside Downing Street. You like this, Halligan. Someone described her when she's doing a speech as looking like a pigeon staring at a Rubik's Cube, which is oh unkind but not... Did not- Boris Johnson write that? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like one of his. <laughs> the contrast between the styles of Boris's Hale Fellow Well Met and her slightly nervous head girl on the first day, couldn't be more apparent. But she did a lot better actually at PMQs. And Theresa May, the previous female prime minister, asked a nice question saying, why does Labour find it so difficult to find a woman prime minister? To which Trust replied, why did Labour find it hard to find a female leader or indeed a leader who doesn't come from North London? (laughs) Boom, that was great. And she also had another very good line back to Starmer saying there's nothing new about a Labour leader who's calling for more tax rises. So she did have a couple of good moments, but this doesn't look set up to be a sort of classic dispatch box standoff. It is the sort of battle of the wooden tops, isn't it, really? Starmer and (laughs) Trust. Apart from the fact that she's facing coming in at one of the most difficult times in modern history. What do you make of her? I thought the
2: moment that the results of the leadership contest was announced, it was a bit odd, the choreography. There was a sort of empty chair between her and Rishi Sunak, a bit like the police do at football to keep sort of two opposing (laughs) sets of fans so they don't lay into each other to keep them apart. And then she didn't turn and congratulate him. I remember the image when Boris Johnson won, even though he was going to win easily. He gave Jeremy Hunt a sort of proper handshake and a sort of hug and there was a visible warmth. There was none of that, so clearly... There's no love lost between the two camps. I do think it's unfortunate that there isn't a broader set of the politics of the Conservative Party represented across the cabinet. But we'll see how that one pans out. Clearly, she's got a huge ally in her chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng. They entered the Commons together in 2010. They're very much political soulmates. They've written books and pamphlets together. And they're looking for a kind of Cameron Osborne type relationship between number 10 and number 11, rather than a Blair Brown or even a Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak relationship, because there was clearly a lot of tension between those two in the last few months of the Johnson government. I think this energy support package, which has been unveiled today, is a very serious intervention into the British economy. The numbers involved are enormous This is a politician who stood for office to lead her party and indeed the country on a kind of low-tax platform, and yet her first move is an absolutely massive government intervention funded by government borrowing, at least at the outset, though that money may be paid back, if not by taxpayers as a whole, then by people on their energy bills going forward. So she is going to have to be a shapeshifter. She does enter office with... Probably the toughest intray of any peacetime prime minister in our lifetimes, mm. Alison. I do think this winter she is going to be very, very sorely tested, not least by the public sector unions, as we've said on Planet Normal in recent months. But you know what? I do think she will grow into the role. I do agree with you that she's good when she throws away her notes and just goes for it. She is a very instinctive person. I've met her quite a lot over the years, talked to her. She's got a real sense of humour.
1: Has she? That doesn't come
2: across at the moment. She does have a sense of humour. She reminds me a lot, and she won't like me for saying this, but she reminds me a lot of Gordon Brown, not in her politics or her ideology, but in a small group, Gordon Brown is... Forgive me for saying this. He's really good company. He's a very warm, charismatic person. He fills the room. But he just couldn't ever do it on telly. And in politics, that really counts. And she needs to learn that lesson from Brown, that you just have to be yourself and don't over-choreograph your public appearances. She was good on her hind legs, off Mm. the cuff, at PMQs, as you just said. That must have been really nerve-wracking, her first PMQs, however experienced she is at the dispatch box, and she is quite experienced. And she was so much better during those leadership hustings, those interminable leadership hustings, when she was talking off the bat rather than from a stump speech. I think a lot of people are underestimating her. Like you, I want Britain to do well. Whoever's in office, whoever's leading us, I do wish her well. She's got a really, really tough set of issues that she has to grapple with in the weeks and months to come. I don't think there'll be anything but almost constant criticism from a lot of the media, particularly the broadcast media. But you know what? The British public may warm to her for that. These first two or three weeks as she sets the tone, as she gives that first impression, absolutely crucial.
1: I think that the expectations are very low and that could be an advantage. To some extent, she may as well go for it, Liam, because it is also bad. We have seen some of the most awful things being said about her before she even became the Prime Minister. Is this the worst Prime Minister ever? Is trust the new Jeremy Corbyn? Well, very, very unlikely. If she's a Marxist, she's keeping it very quiet, isn't she? <laughs> Thick lizzie that's a play on the Irish band Thin Lizzie. Now, she's many things. I don't particularly warm to her. I slightly suspect a lot of women won't particularly warm to her initially, but she is a girl from a Northern Comprehensive who I remember you saying to me that she got into Merton College, Oxford initially to read maths. Now, you don't do that without being seriously clever. We've got these very smug members of the metropolitan bubble writing her off already. And you'll recall, Liam, that they very much wrote Margaret Thatcher off in the same sort of snobby, condescending way. I think the advantage that she has, which Boris didn't have, is she strikes me that she's not afraid not to be liked. She has a philosophy and in the end I think one of the things that really did for Boris was that he was puppyishly eager to be all things to all men, harder than a blancmange to pin down, didn't really want to sort of speak out. Do you remember that terrible thing when the Churchill statue was graffitied in yeah. Whitehall and he just, a couple of days, kept kind of a bit shiftedy quiet? He should have gone outside and literally wrapped his arms around it. He should. He should. Absolutely. What
2: an image that would have been. That would have gone around the world.
1: That would. It would have been, this is our guy, for all his flaws, one of our great heroes. How dare you? Oh, no, it's all, oh, dear, a few people from Black Lives Matter might think I'm racist. Do you think? Just get a bloody grip. Oh, do you remember also, I think the moment when I absolutely parted company with Boris was during that G7. <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was terrible. When he said, he actually delivered that speech, which clearly Carrie had whispered to him that morning on the pillow, which was, we're going to build back better in a gender neutral way. We're going to build back better in a more feminine way. He, thought, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. So I think, Truss, for all her... Weaknesses will not be hopefully spouting arrant nonsense. It'd be quite nice if she could stop saying, I will deliver. (laughs) I think that was point seven of your 10 point
2: (laughs) list.
3: I I will deliver. Your roadmap
2: to success. Point seven stop saying deliver.
1: I did tell her to buy a bloody great handbag as well, didn't I? Do you remember? Yeah, so she of, could whack people with it. To whack people with. I think that will always come in handy. In the days of Thatcher, handbagging, it was a verb, wasn't it? It was. To handbag, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and before we move on to this energy thing, just to say, very interesting partnership between Truss and Therese Coffee, who is not just taking on the huge job of the Health Secretary, but is Deputy Prime Minister. And I think this is quite an unusual dynamic. No one can Really, I think at the moment, know what to make of it. I mean, Coffee is a, I was going to say, eccentric, but certainly individual figure, isn't she? This slightly Mrs. Pepper Pot type lady wandering around, but probably not to be underestimated. I was interested, Liam, to see the parallel, see if you can answer this. There we go. Okay.
2: Were you going to do, ask me the capital of Chad or something? No,
1: Therese Coffee, red. Chemistry at Somerville College, Oxford. Oh, as did Margaret Thatcher. As did Margaret Thatcher. Oh, top of the class, Halligan, top
2: of the class. It's N'Djamena, by the way. What? The capital of Chad, (laughs) if you're wondering. Not to be confused with Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso.
1: Uh, We'll have to do University (laughs) Challenge together, won't we? So I've got lots of questions to ask you about this massive plan to freeze energy bills. So as you're saying, estimated to cost some vast 150 billion or something, but may have an effect on inflation, cutting inflation. I want to ask you about that, but just to kind of be very boring and Velma statty about it. So the freeze, we think, will be set around the price cap now, which is just a shade under £2,000. We factor in Rishi Sunak's payments to households, which have already been signed off. That's 400 quid a year. Trust has said she'll take off the green levies. That's 150 quid, And the price cap is due to go up in October to 3549 So that won't happen, Liam. The government steps in gives the difference to the energy suppliers. But of course, that's borrowed money. It will relieve the immediate hardship on millions of families, but it probably costs between 20 and £30 billion for every quarter that the freeze remains in place. So I guess what I'm asking to you is, is it a danger that the government gets committed to a freeze for as long as gas prices don't come down, How long is that? Is that till the 2024 election because they're too scared for consumers to feel that? Will there be a windfall tax? What are they going to do about businesses? I mean, we are hearing, aren't we, from listeners about absolutely dumbfounding bills, bills that businesses couldn't even begin to pay. How long will the freeze last, Liam? What level is it set at? How many people will it benefit? And how much money do you think ultimately the government is prepared to throw at it?
2: Just before I come on to that, it is worth saying that there is a really strong relationship between Liz Truss and Therese Coffey. Therese Coffey was actually a really, really good Secretary of State for Work and Pensions, which is Mm. one of the toughest jobs. And she held that job down for three years, actually. Mm. And she was very much a safe pair of hands, which is no mean feat at one of the very trickiest departments of government like Liz Truss, she's an MP in the east of England. Their constituencies are very close, southwest Norfolk and Suffolk coastal. And like Liz Truss, she grew up for a lot of her life in the north of England. So these are no-nonsense women. And it may be that Britain's ready for some no-nonsense women to get the house in order. And again, I think some of the comments aimed at Therese Coffey by so-called journalists, absolutely outrageous what they're saying about her, commenting on her personally. I mean, people just lose their minds sometimes when they talk about particularly conservative politicians. And again, I think British people will take umbrage, whatever party that they support or none. They won't like to see just abuse, personal abuse that hmm. people who have put themselves up for public office and to all intents and purposes are trying to do their best. And talking of trying to do their best, this energy support package... It is a major undertaking. The expectation is that prices will be frozen for ultimately a couple of years. That off-gem energy price gap that was due to come in in October, 3500 quid or so for the average household Mm. bill, that isn't now going to happen. I mean, it's difficult to think of an economic policy worse than saying blood-curdling energy bills are about to come in and then take them away again. I mean, you couldn't design a policy to dent consumer confidence and indeed business confidence to a greater extent than that. Again, a symptom of this prolonged Tory leadership contest. We've discussed that on Planet Normal before.
1: But we haven't got any money, Liam. I know beyond a certain point it's monopoly money, but at what point? I mean, we're going to be servicing this debt. I mean, presumably the interest repayments on this debt are going to be absolutely stratospheric, aren't they?
2: They are going to be high. But when this support package or when news of it began to seep out earlier this week, Share prices have actually risen because the markets have said, oh, suddenly someone in the political and media class gets that loads of businesses are going to go completely bankrupt unless they do something to help business. It depends if we can keep on growing. If you can keep on growing, then the markets will forgive an awful lot of things. Mm. The pound did hit its lowest level against the dollar since the mid 1980s. But a large part of the reason for that, Alison, is that the dollar is stratospherically strong because the Federal Reserve, the US central bank is raising interest rates very, very aggressively. So people move money into dollars to take advantage of those higher interest rates overnight. And also because America, it often becomes a financial safe haven, believe it or not, the dollar anyway, during times of big geopolitical angst and conflict. Almost all major currencies have gone down against the dollar over recent months, except the ruble, by the way. But that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) That's another story. (laughs) So I do think the markets will give her the benefit of the doubt if she can govern in a way that promotes order and enterprise and growth. If the public sector unions attack her big time and the wheels are coming off and people like you and me or people beyond you and me talking about who governs Britain and Callaghan era type headlines, then that will have a financial implication. We've seen government borrowing costs go up in recent weeks. It now costs the government around 3.1% to borrow 10 year money. That's up from half a percent not so long ago, a huge percentage proportionate increase. On the other hand, the Bank of England's raising interest rates, you'd expect those guilt rates to go up. So it's not the case that all is lost at all. It is all to play for, but she is taking a risk. And so I take you back to what I said at the outset, Alison. Can we afford this? Can we afford not to do this? Because if we do nothing and you have people hit with three and a half grand bills on average, there will be a massive non-payment. There will be a proper protest movement that could get, particularly lively or even worse, and you will get thousands and thousands of businesses going bankrupt, which will mean lots of people lose their jobs. So this is about the art of the possible. That's what politics is. It's about arbitrating between very, very difficult choices, all of them bad. This is by no means ideal. If I was asked to design a policy like this, it would be roughly along the lines of what the government has come up with, standing behind companies that take on these loans, keeping the debt off the government's balance sheet. On the other hand, the government is going to have to get heavily involved in the management of those businesses in the months and years to come as the money's paid back. The details are still quite blurry and we'll see what happens. But I think on balance, the government didn't really have a choice. It had to do something and something along
1: these lines. I did an event last week for South Cambridgeshire Conservatives at the wonderful Orchard Tea Garden in Grantchester, Liam. And listeners may well know the Rupert Brooke poem, Grantchester stands the church clock at 10 to three and is there honey still for tea? You were doing your Betjeman last week, so I'm doing my Rupert Brooke this time. <laughs> but I met Charles Bunker, lovely guy, the proprietor of the Orchard Tea Garden, and and he was telling people there that last year the business had an average electricity bill of 1,200 a month. It's now nearly 4,000 a month and rapidly rising. He said that last year, the oil bill was 4,500, but that had doubled. So, in brutal terms, his price increase is from 13,000 per annum for energy to 108,000. But the really offensive part, he said to us, is the increase in our standing charge from £7 per month to 608. He says £7,000 a year and for What? And then this is something you've mentioned to me, Liam, many times. Charles said the 1st of April 2022 VAT increased from 12.5% to 20% took an extra 55,000 out of the orchard tea garden because they couldn't pass on that cost, as well as a 35% increase in food costs and 37% increase in staff wages because Charles is a really nice man and he doesn't want his staff to not be able to afford anything. And he was just standing there waving around this bill in a kind of absolutely deranged manner. And you thought, no, this is the picture, isn't it? I know you had on GB News when you've been doing your on the money slot. You've been featuring, haven't you, lots of the sort of Charles's who I think it could, not to be catastrophizing, I think it could push people into serious mental health difficulties and worse if you labour people with this kind of burden. So yeah, I think Absolutely that what it's really, we're at whatever it takes now. Just quickly, I think listeners would be really interested, Liam, you know both Quasi Kwateng and Swella Bravam and not particularly well-known yet to the general public, and, and you even have childhood links with them, don't you? I do, and I do
2: take umbrage that a lot of commentary was, oh, we may have lots of people from ethnic minorities at the top of government, but they're all sort of posh and they're all privileged and so on. Yeah. So... Quasi Quateng, for part of his life, he grew up near me in Kingsbury, Northwest London, which is not a glamorous place. Hi, Kingsbury. Very proud I come <laughs> from Kingsbury, as did George Michael, Stuart Pearce, Mike Gatting, a whole load of astonishing people, Charlie Watts. But Quasi Quateng grew up in Kingsbury. He's the son of two Ghanaian immigrants who came over in the 1960s who worked hard to encourage their... Young lad. He then was put in for a highly competitive exam at Eton, and he won the King's Scholarship, which is a seriously difficult thing to do. I mean, seriously difficult. He's won a host of academic prizes. He's a very, very clever bloke. And I think it's good that we've got him as Chancellor of the Exchequer. Whatever colour he is, that's not what I'm talking about. He's a man of serious intellect, and we'll see how he gets on. And Suella Braverman, again, she went to an independent school. I know exactly the independent school she went to. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm. But we also went to the same primary school. And this is a very small primary school in a pretty nondescript part of London, Kenton and Kingsbury. It was a wonderful school to me. I'm still in touch with many of the teachers who helped to shape me in my literally infant years. Mm. This is not the place where you go to primary school if you're from a particularly privileged, posh background. By no means could it possibly be described as that. This is an everyman school for the sons and daughters of ordinary working Londoners. And I'm talking about blue-collar workers, maybe you know the lower middle classes at best, and I say that with enormous respect and affection for where I grew up. It is ridiculous to present these two people, and indeed James Cleverly as posh and privileged and to say that this is a sort of class-ridden government. If nothing else, they've got huge burden. They've got a massive piled-up trade to address. But I do think it's great that we do have this diversity of people across our cabinet.
1: I think it's diversity as well, isn't it? We've often spoken about this. In fact, one of the reasons we wanted to set up Planet Normal in the first place was it was about diversity of background. I always try to think of a better word than RC for you and me, but I never quite find one. And I do think that slight outsider thing is no bad thing. Liz Truss herself went to a comprehensive school in Leeds. I mean, she travelled around. She lived in Scotland for a while. I think she lived in Canada. But she did her secondary years at this Leeds Comprehensive. And it's always interesting me, Liam, because She's been a little bit critical of it. She hasn't said it was terrible, but she said some teachers were less good than others. And she said that she saw a lot of her fellow pupils, as I did, doing a lot less well than they would have done in a better, more supported, perhaps selective environment. And there's a lot of backlash when you say that. People hate it. It's like, oh, don't you know, she's running down the school she went to. The fact is, I always wish I could have gone to a grammar school. And it's very interesting when you look at the composition of the new cabinet, Think about five of them went to comprehensives, including the new prime minister. I think four or five went to grammars, and then there's a raft of about twenty who did go to private school. But as you say, people like Suella and Kwasi, they were scholarship or bursary kids. The fact when it says private school, it doesn't mean people coming from vast wealth and privilege. But there is this thing that when someone like Liz Truss says, actually, my school could have been better. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go into politics. I just think that's extremely honest and it's not comfortable for the people. I mean, in fact, it was actually Alistair Campbell, wasn't it, in the Tony Blair era, who talked about the bog standard comp. And I feel proud as a bog standard comp product that someone who went to a school probably not dissimilar to mine is now the prime minister. And that will give her a different edge. I mean, Boris was to the manner born. Trust finds that she doesn't have that public school confidence. She's not that at ease on her feet. But what she does bring, I think, is that authentic awareness of what it is to be in a classroom. She does come just with that slightly outsider's take on things.
2: Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, but my pals call me Chopper, and you can too. Just dropping into my second favourite podcast to tell you about another Telegraph show, mine. As the Telegraph's Chief Political Correspondent, I spend my days holding politicians to account and asking them about the things that affect you. I speak to top politicians from across the political spectrum, commentators with their finger on the pulse, and, of course, my talented colleagues at the Telegraph. So if that sounds like your cup of tea please search Chopper's Politics wherever you're listening to this.
1: Cheerio! Our guest this week, Liam, is someone that I know we've both wanted to get on the rocket for a long time. Toby Young is one of the UK's most successful journalists, contrarians and political activists. Toby is an associate editor of The Spectator, where he writes a terrific weekly column, often very funny. And he's a regular contributor to the Daily Mail and, of course, our own Daily Telegraph. Toby Young was a co-founder of the West London Free School. That was the first free school to sign a funding agreement with the Education Secretary. I was a big success. Now, during the pandemic, Toby founded Lockdown Skeptics, which became a centre for the resistance against draconian measures, giving a voice to scientists, medics, and many others who were scared to speak out in any other forum. Lockdown sceptics recently morphed into the Daily Sceptic, where Toby and his team continue to campaign on issues like COVID vaccine injuries, whilst also challenging the absurdities and dangers of identity politics. In February 2020, Toby Young co founded the Free Speech Union, which has been a beacon of hope for many who, like Young himself, have fallen foul of cancel culture. While he was at Oxford, Toby was a friend of one. Boris Johnson. So I thought it'd be interesting to start by asking him whether he was disappointed by his old friend's tenure in number 10.
3: I was always sort of aware of Boris's character flaws, and in particular, his inability to really focus on the task in hand. He's always been easily distracted, always got too many things on the go, juggling too many balls. But I thought that this is a job he's wanted all his life. He's been preparing for all his life. You know, famously, he told Rachel, his sister, he wanted to be world king. You know, almost was the first words came out of his mouth. He's got this Churchillian sense of destiny. Cometh the man, cometh the hour. He's actually going to behave like a grown up. He's finally going to put aside childish things, look through a glass darkly and focus on the really important job in hand, the job he's always wanted. But actually he didn't he didn't really change i think in retrospect i feel like a kind of woman who knew the shortcomings of the man who was proposing to me but decided to overlook them because you know <laughs> because of his attractive qualities <laughs> and uh, only 3 years later to, you know i knew all along i was i just wasn't listening to the right voices in my head i've been fooled again so i'm obviously pretty disappointed i really did think that he would rise to the occasion and he didn't
2: You mentioned Churchill, Toby. Of course, our wartime leader lost out to Clement Attlee in the flush of Allied victory. But then he came back in 1951, of course, as prime minister. Like (laughs) Churchill, like
3: Cincinnatus. Could Boris come back? Well, you know, interestingly, Liam, I think if you know anything about Boris's history, the idea that he would entertain fantasies of coming back is not too... Implausible. So he failed his first time at trying to get elected president of the Oxford Union and only succeeded second time around. And he failed in his first leadership bid and only succeeded second time. So he probably thinks, well, I failed in my first go as Prime Minister, but I should be given another go. I always do better second time around. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he is thinking that. In fact, I'm sure he is. But uh, I think stars would have to align in a pretty incredible way for him to have any kind of chance of making a comeback.
1: Do you think if he'd remained married to Marina and not married Carrie, that the policies from the Johnson Downing Street would have been notably different?
3: You know, I bumped into Marina at a book party on the day Boris resigned, and I couldn't help myself. I went up to her and I said, you know, if he'd remained married to you, I don't think he would have resigned today. And she said, you're the hundredth person who's come up to me and said that. (laughs) Toby, what do
1: we think? Liz Truss, do we dare to hope?
3: Well, Alison, I think the last Conservative Prime Minister who didn't disappoint me was Margaret Thatcher, so <laughs> I am extremely guarded against investing too much hope in Liz. I mean, one kind of amusing thing I think about uh, her victory and her initial cabinet appointments is it's as though she's trolling the Labour Party. This is the third female Prime Minister we've had in this country, and the third Conservative female Prime Minister. is as if the Conservative Party is saying to Labour, you know, you're the party of gender equality. You've never had a female leader, let alone a female Prime Minister. And the fact that now the five major offices of state are all occupied by someone who isn't a male, pale and stale person <laughs> almost feels like, you know, again, trolling the Labour Party. You know, you're supposed to be the party that cares about diversity and inclusion. Look at us. You talk the talk, we walk the walk. But, I mean... If I was David Lammy, I would be thinking this is actually quite a good day for me because assuming Keir Starmer does win the next general election, he's going to have to put as many ethnic minority Labour MPs in his cabinet so as not to be outdone by Liz Truss. So, you know, if you're a really mediocre black Labour MP, this is is a fantastic day. So Lammy must be delighted here.
2: I think what characterises our country is the fact that there's so little fuss made of the fact that the great offices of state are now populated by people from ethnic minorities the fact that our finance ministers have been called you know quasi sajid rishi most brits don't give a two hoots about that they just care about whether or not the person can do the job and i think that's a great mark of this country but above and beyond that toby what do you make of the cabinet appointments Where launching the planet normal rocket the day after Truss has made her cabinet appointments the day that there's a big energy support package we think about to be announced what do you think's the best cabinet appointment and what do you think's the worst to put you on the spot
3: let's start with the Worst appointment. I think like both of you, I'm not a particular fan of the net zero agenda. And I think one of the reasons we're in a bit of a pickle, not the only reason, but one of them with respect to rising energy prices is because of the net zero agenda. So I was very disappointed to see Alec Sharma reappointed as the kind of COP26 minister or whatever he is, because he said, you know, during the leadership contest, if net zero is resiled from in any way at all, I will resign. Uh, And he must have had to have been reassured by Liz to accept the reappointment that that wasn't going to happen. I think we can conclude from his reappointment that it's very unlikely that net zero will be paused in any way, which I think is a great shame. I was very concerned when I heard that Liz was going to reappoint Nadine Dorries as the Culture Secretary, because in my capacity as General Secretary of the Free Speech Union, I've been campaigning against the online safety bill for the last two and a half years. And that bill is very much Nadine Dorries's baby. So had she been reappointed, I think that bill probably would have sailed through the House of Lords unamended, which would have been a disaster. And then we heard that Penny Mordaunt might get culture, which would I think have been even worse than Nadine being reappointed, Penny being the wokest of the recent leadership candidates. So the fact that Michelle Donelan has got it, I think, is good. Better than those two, certainly. And Michelle pushed through the higher education freedom of speech bill when she was university's minister. She, at least in her capacity as universities minister, seemed to care about free speech. So hopefully she will make sure the online safety bill is amended before it becomes law. And I think Kit Malthouse as education secretary, you know, I would have preferred Kemi Badenoch, but it could be worse. He's a competent minister. So, you know, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I like the fact that Jacob has been promoted. I'm a fan of Jacob's and he's probably the kind of most pure-blooded Brexiteer in the kind of senior team. So I'm glad that he's where he is. And Suella, I kind of like Pretty, but I think Suella will...
1: She failed, though, didn't she, Toby, really? She, she did.
3: She, well, she failed to do anything about illegal immigration, but that is a tough nut to crack. And if I was Suella, I'd be slightly nervous. I hope she does do something about it. I hope she can stop the boats coming across but it's very very difficult so it remains to be seen whether she can but i think suella is very sound on things like non-crime hate incidents depoliticizing the police all of which are very important so i like the cut of her jib in the leadership campaign for me it was a tough choice between her and kemi Badenoch. In the end i went for kemi so yeah i'm pleased that she's been promoted too
1: Let's come to lockdown, a subject very dear to the hearts of Planet Normal listeners. You were one of the first, one of the very, very few public voices to speak out against lockdown. At one point, you described your own death from COVID as acceptable collateral damage, which was very noble. I remember how special it was, actually. I just want to pay tribute to you. I'd get these emails from lockdown sceptics dropping into my inbox at the crack of dawn, and I used to think of Toby working away in his garden shed all hours of the day and night, trying to keep the flame of reason burning. How and why did you start lockdown, Skeptics? And I also just wanted to ask you, it feels like we lived through this spasm of madness. What was the worst thing about it for you? And do you have any reflections on that now?
3: Yes, well, I wrote a piece saying I thought lockdown was a disastrous mistake and the costs would far outweigh the benefits, on March 30th, 2020, about a week after we locked down for the first time, I immediately started trending on Twitter as a granny killer. You know, I, I'd been cancelled before, but it felt like I was being cancelled all over again. And then I wrote something pretty sceptical for the Telegraph, and then the wave of abuse kind of escalated. It was like a tsunami of hostility heading towards me. And lots of people wrote to me saying, thank you for saying that, you know, I've been too frightened to say it. So I thought, we need a kind of safe space for lockdown sceptics you know where people who can't express these views can't express them in the mainstream media not in scientific journals yet they need somewhere where they can articulate their scepticism about this policy and so that was the reason for starting lockdown sceptics and then it kind of mushroomed from there uh, and it's now become the daily sceptic and i don't know about you Alison, but i'm not sure how i feel about all these johnny come lately's like Rishi Sinak, even Liz Truss, claiming that they too were sceptical. I mean, you know, they're supposed to be more rejoicing in heaven at a repentant sinner than the 99 self-righteous people. But the thing which makes it difficult is that they're not repentant. They're not saying... I got it wrong, you were right, I'm sorry. They're saying, no, no, I was always a lockdown sceptic. I agreed with you, I just didn't pipe up at the time. And you're thinking, well, how should I feel about that? If all the people claiming they were sceptical really were back then, back in March 2020, it reminds me of all the people who claimed they went to the Sex Pistols gig, you know, the impromptu gig in the Screen on the Green in 1976. You'd need a venue the size of Wembley Stadium to accommodate all the people that said they were there. It feels a bit like that, but on the other hand, And I think the object all along has been to try and persuade as many people as possible that the lockdown policy is a colossal error and to try and prevent us ever repeating that error. So really, I think we just have to kind of bite our tongues and welcome anyone to the fold, even if they pretend they were in the fold all along.
2: Almost as many people who've watched the Beatles at the Cavern Club, of course. I wasn't born, but I was there. That's that's it, yeah.
1: (laughs) Liam and I were also, as you know, pinatas to be beaten for our dreadful granny-killing ways, weren't we, Liam?
2: We were indeed, and it was a very, very tough time for both of us personally and professionally to put up with so much abuse. And yet, on the other hand we were getting so many emails from members of the public, and not just ordinary, decent folk who are worried, but scientists, professionals, (laughs) world-class medics. And that's why Alison and I did what we did, and I'm sure that's why you did what you did, Toby. I must say, I think The Spectator also played a role during that period, and we mentioned that Rishi Sunak interview, which Alison and I discussed as it came out. I was actually a bit miffed at Rishi Sunak, I think these issues were so important to the future of our country, to education and health. If he really felt that way, you know, an extremely wealthy guy, a young guy with age on his side, any political ambitions he may have had could easily have been shelved. I think he should have resigned, Toby. I actually felt his interview with Fraser Nelson was a bit cynical, the sort of last roll of the dice in the leadership election. I know Alison felt great relief, and I felt great relief too, because I do think that interview in The Spectator will influence whatever public inquiry there is. We can now have a polite conversation, a reasoned conversation about whether or not lockdown was a good thing. How did you feel, though, when you saw that Rishi Sunak interview?
3: Like you, Liam, I think if he really felt that way, he should have resigned. And had he resigned, that might have made a real difference. You know, that could have prompted a rebellion and made it much harder, at least, to impose another lockdown. And the irony is, you say, you know, he should have been willing to sacrifice his political career on a matter of principle. But actually, had he resigned back then, he probably would have won the most recent leadership election. The reason both he and Liz sort of came out as lockdown sceptics during the hustings is because they know that that is the overwhelmingly popular position now amongst the Conservative members.
1: Toby, you've founded the Free Speech Union, of which uh, Liam and I are great supporters. You were personally a victim of cancel culture, weren't you, in January 2018 when you were made a member of the board for the new office for students. To cut a very long story short, the outraged mob swung into action, dug up some Twitter posts by you which were described as misogynistic and homophobic. I was kind of quite amazed because you resigned and then an inquiry was launched by Peter Riddle, Commissioner for Public Appointments, and he was looking at your, your appointment and he said that the panel report to ministers about Mr Young made no mention of Mr Young's history of controversial comments and use of social media, the disquiet which followed makes a strong case for more extensive due diligence inquiries. I mean, who the hell would skate whipping if every public appointment is going to be people trawling through all our past statements in previous lives? Are you hopeful now with the Free Speech Union? Are you hopeful that there is a pushback now against the council culture?
3: I think there is a pushback. I think there is a burgeoning counter-revolution. Yeah, it was because I went through that and didn't just end up resigning from the Office for Students, but having to resign from four other positions too. So I lost five positions as a result of that. And when I was going through it, there was no one to really turn to for kind of good, impartial, professional advice it's a horrifying experience because you're watching your career burning to the ground you know and you don't know how to put out the fire you're just standing there and everything you've worked for is just going up in smoke where's the fire brigade who do I call how can I do something about this and it was the absence of any obvious organization to call that prompted me when I would sort of recovered to start the free speech union in February 2020. So if people do find themselves targeted by an outrage mob or under investigation at work because of something they've said, even if it's perfectly lawful, they now have an organisation they can turn to where they can get PR advice legal advice even psychological counseling if they need it and believe me a lot of them do it's a membership organization we now have 9500 members we've got 15 employees we get about 50 requests for help a week it's extraordinary how many people are now coming to us for help because we may think of cancel culture as having peaked so it's actually i don't think it has and more and more people are finding themselves in the firing line every week but i think we are beginning to make a difference we're winning Cases, we're embarrassing companies and universities for, you know, investigating what are plainly vexatious complaints by political activists. I think on the kind of trans rights activist versus gender critical feminist debate, we and others have made a bit of a difference there. You know, I think the more authoritarian, censorious, trans rights activists are now on the back foot. Yeah, I think we are beginning to see a pushback and hopefully Liz Truss's um, premiership will help with the kind of anti-woke momentum because she, after all, was quite good in not caving in to the pressure to reform the Gender Recognition Act. There is no Minister for Women in her government. I think that's a significant sign. And, you know, a lot of the people in her cabinet are anti-woke, like Kemi Jacob Rees-Mogg, and others. So I think we can take some heart from that, and I think we're beginning to win this particular battle. But, you know, the war is certainly not yet won.
2: Toby Young, thanks a lot for appearing on Planet Normal.
3: Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Alison.
1: Now on to our listener emails, the wonderful messages, which, as you know, or as the co-pilot will tell you, find their way somehow into the Alison and Pearson and Gollum. We absolutely love reading them and we learn so much from you, our Planet Normal listeners. This week, we've got various bits of advice for Prime Minister Truss. Kathy says... Be honest about the scale of the challenges, Liz. It's not possible for all of us to maintain or improve our standard of living in a crisis. Decisions that need to be taken for the overall benefit of the country will almost always have a disadvantage for someone somewhere. You cannot and should not try to please all of the people, all of the time. I would so appreciate a politician who treats us like adults, acknowledging that there are no easy answers and that even the best decisions have some adverse consequences that have to be faced. And this is from Peregrine, a regular Planet Normal listener. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you are the president of the UK, Liz. You are the first among equals. Beware your own backbenchers, many of whom are conservative in name only and concerned with their own careers rather than the good of the country. Don't pander to the siren voices of minority focus groups, but address the concerns of the majority. Hear, hear. Be a conservative, not a quasi green. Lib dumb. Stick to your guns in the face of the blob. Ignore the gloom and doomsayers Be lucky
2: Here's a quick one Alison To raise your spirits Yes Because I've found a kindred spirit In former Planet Normal mug winner Steve (laughs) Because like me Steve wants to defend The Alison Pearson
1: Hello I don't say it like that We love
2: your hellos Alison And this is Steve (laughs) Dear Alison Ignore the cretin Who complained (laughs) about your Hello At the beginning of each podcast Be assured Alison says Steve, that your mellifluous tones to continue to send shivers down my spine as you speak good human common sense to a world gone mad. I'll use my prized Planet Normal mug to drink a toast to your voice. Long may you and it continue. Yours sincerely, Steve. Good man, Steve.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Alison with one L says, much of the vitriol aimed at Liz Truss is meant to poison the well of her government philosophy before she gets the chance to demonstrate it. The endless recycling of big state redistribution wrapped up in blue or red is dangerous nonsense. We have not had 12 years of conservative policies. We've been run by a Tony Blair wannabe government that tried too hard to shake off the unfair, nasty party moniker without thinking it through and realising that people care about Results in the final analysis. The anger aimed at Liz for daring to suggest centre left policies are not the only way to govern a country suggests she's speaking to something quite powerful the vast majority of non-government institutions in this country are explicitly or implicitly left-wing. If the Tories successfully revitalise actual right-wing politics, they'll undo decades of careful propaganda and politicking designed to move Britain further and further left. Nothing is more terrifying to the intelligentsia as amply demonstrated by the Brexit vote than the general public voicing and a government acting on right-wing ideas. Now, Alison, we've got several budding planet normal poets, haven't we? We have. And
2: one is Bob, and he submitted another poem, and Bob says, since everyone else in Britain seems to have advice for our new Prime Minister on how to run the country, I thought it would be rude not to join in with some words of my own. So here is, by Bob, a poem called Dear Liz. (laughs) Congratulations on your win. I know you've lots to do, but as you pick priorities... May I suggest a few? Scrap net zero targets, they're the fantasy of fools. Stop the wacky wokery, particularly in schools. Remind our civil servants that they're paid to do a job. Don't let them undermine you. Eradicate the blob. Tell police to fix the crime that's plaguing Britain's streets, rather than obsessing over everybody's tweets. Motorway hard shoulders must return without delay. Stop all work on HS2 and cancel it today. Amend the online safety bill before it is too late. Make sure it doesn't jeopardise our freedom to debate. As for those in Brussels, it's time to call their bluff. Ditch the wretched protocol. It's caused us harm enough. Liz, if you can do these things, you'll have my full support. Enjoy your time in number 10. Let's hope it's not too short.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely brilliant. Alfred Lord Tennyson himself. From Benjamin to Bob, we welcome all comers on Planet Normal. Here's Linda leaving an absolutely lovely review on iTunes, which anyone can do if they feel so moved. Thank heaven for Planet Normal, says Linda. It's my absolutely favourite podcast, just as I think the world around me is imploding Alison and Liam confirm that it really is imploding, (laughs) despite the doom and gloom. They bring humour, insight, knowledge – that's me – and a fantastic array of guests to discuss the everyday issues we face. You both got me through the tough times of lockdown, and I'm delighted that Changing Attitudes are proving you and your listeners were correct in our thinking. You were challenged in the public arena and you held your ground – Please don't stop. We need you more than ever in these challenging times. Thank you, says Linda. Well, thank you from us, Linda. That's a lovely, lovely review. And finally, from me, Colin, Liz Truss could govern as the first Conservative Prime Minister since Tony Blair. (laughs) That's the thought.
2: (laughs) And on that bombshell, (laughs) that's it from Planet Normal for another week. We leave our sanctuary of sweet reason, our flying refuge of reasoned views. Email of the week. It's my turn, and i tell you what I'm going to do.
1: It's got to be Bob. It's got to be Bob, hasn't it? It's got to be Bob. Come on. Can I just
2: say, if Steve didn't already have a Planet Normal mug, you'd get another Planet (laughs) Normal mug for standing up for your hellos, Alison. Planet Normal listeners, how much do you love Alison's hello? Let her know, because I know she was upset that her wonderful hellos were questioned.
1: Just a bit self-conscious, really. So,
2: Bob, send us an email with mugwinner.com. Plant Normal at telegraph.co.uk. Give us your postal address
1: and another rare
2: as hen's teeth, rare as rocking horse poo, Plant Normal mug will wing its way towards you.
1: If you enjoy Planet Normal, and we jolly well hope you do, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It does help others to find us and it really cheers the co-pilot up when he's feeling a bit downcast we do as we've mentioned we have another live planet normal event coming on october the 19th in london got some really fantastic guests lined up we'll be giving you more details very soon but please put that in your diary if you're keen to come and marvel at the human colossus that is liam halligan
2: and as we speed away from our beloved planet normal i'm ignoring that and the madness (laughs) of planet earth coming back into view thanks as ever to our producers, Isabel Bujard, Elliot Lampett, and our editor, Zoe Hitch. Stay safe in touch with us and with each other. Until next week, it's
1: goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.